0: Welcome to the Money Mindset Podcast, where you will find the inspiration and motivation you need to manage your money better so you can stress less and live the life you want.
1: This is Ashley Patrick with the Money Mindset Podcast and Budgets Made Easy, and today we are talking to Kimberly Hamilton, who's the founder of Be Worth Finance. She's a travel junkie, wannabe foodie, and personal finance nerd. She teaches courses on how to be better with your finances, and she makes personal finance more approachable for the average moneymaker. Before we jump into Kimberly's interview, I do want to take a quick moment to tell you all about the membership community that is opening Today, well, I guess technically it opened yesterday, so it is open for this week only. You only have until Thursday night at midnight to jump on this opportunity. This is the only time it's gonna be open for the next couple of months, and I probably won't even open it till the new year. So this is your chance to get on board with paying off debt, getting your money ready before the holiday season. This is your opportunity To get the accountability and the support and the guidance that you need to get started on your budget, Um, stick to your budget, save money. Actually, the people in the group are saving hundreds of dollars every single month by you know working the plan and following the guidance and then the advice that is given inside of the group. We do uh, coaching calls, group coaching calls, so you know and you don't feel so alone. Uh, There's trainings inside the group and. Including the budget challenge, the seven day budget challenge, if you haven't completed that yet. Um, and there's also lots of printables and cash envelopes that aren't available anywhere else. They're not in my shop. I haven't emailed them to anybody. They are only for people inside of the membership community. And for this opening only, I have some pretty amazing bonuses for you as well. Uh, the 2020 budget planner so you can get organized, reduce the overwhelm of how to start your budget and where to start your budget. Uh, Matching cash envelopes to the budget planner so that you can get organized with your cash and stick to your budget a little bit easier. And then the 200 plus easy ways to save money every day ebook. So that is included as well. So Joining right now is your best chance to get started, reduce the overwhelm, know where and how to start and begin your budget and really get on track before this holiday season because this is the quarter, this is the time of the year that everybody overspends like crazy. We've got Christmas coming up and then they think, oh, well, I'll just start over in the new year. Well, it doesn't work very well to do it that way. You really have to start now and you have to start before the new year in order to have the best year ever. Having the best year in 2020 actually starts now. It starts before the new year. You have to get prepared and you have to get ready now in order to have the best next year of your life. And you can do this. You can pay off debt. You can save money. uh, You can get focused and just really reduce the overwhelm and the stress over your finances. So if you are ready to stop being broke, overwhelmed, stressed over your money and want to head toward hundred percent financial stability, then let's chat about it. Let's talk about it. Let's join the membership community. You can send me an email with any questions that you have. Uh, you know, feel free to email me at Ashley at budgetsmadeeasy.com. Uh, you can also check out more about the membership community at budgetsmadeeasy.com membership. Now remember it's only open until Thursday night. So this is your opportunity to take the step that you need before for the crazy holiday season and the just the crazy amount of spending that goes on this time of the year so that you can set yourself up for success in the new year. Now let's jump into Kimberly's interview. Welcome, Kimberly. How are you?
0: Hi, Ashley. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me today.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited to talk to you today because you've got a pretty cool story. You know, on this podcast and on my website, I love sharing debt payoff stories. Like for me, it's super motivational. I, when I was paying off debt, I would read them and listen to them every single day to help keep me motivated. So that's kind of been my mission is sharing other debt payoff stories. Uh, I Yeah. So I just really love it. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and just kind of like your background and how you got started on um, teaching finance and paying off your own debt? Sure. I'm happy to do that. You know,
0: I think it's really interesting that you share these stories as motivation because I think so often it's the case that so many people have all different types of debt now. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. People have gotten so used to just dealing with it, as opposed to talking about how people navigate um, conquering their debt and strategies to do that. So, so props to you. Um, for me, and my issue was was student debt. So I've never had um, medical debt or credit card debt like that. But you know, I'm I'm a proud New Yorker. I moved uh, to Washington D.C. to to work for a government contractor in 2012, and for me, I, when I started, I was making less money than the student debt I came out of grad school with, and I think that could just be really debilitating for a lot mm-hmm. of people um, to have sort of a lower st- starting salary, knowing you have all the student debt that's kicking in, and, and no one was really talking about it, and to be honest, for the first six months, I didn't really know what I was doing. I wasn't looped into, you know, these motivational stories of other people and, and how they tackled it. So for those first six months, I was making the minimum payments because that's what I thought I needed to do. And I think a lot of people... Um, you know, so many more people are moving away from their hometowns and making more money and things like that now. And it's easy to think that those people have it figured out when I think a lot of people struggle with how to pay off their student debt. Um, So I was one of those people. And about six months in, I decided to get educated about money and really started learning about things that seem simple now, but you don't know what you don't know, right? So at the time, I didn't know that I should be making extra payments. I didn't understand the money that I could have been saving in, in interest if I paid my student debt down sooner. But after six months, I figured it out. And that's sort of when I decided to, to double and triple down on my payments. Um, I worked side jobs when I could. I sold things on Craigslist. <laughs> uh, I negotiated my salary year after year to try and make bigger and bigger payments towards that. So so that's the short story um, of how I got started.
1: That's awesome. It's great that you figured that out so young and early in your career because like for me, I paid on my student loans for 10 years. And I had only paid off $3,000 in 10 years, making the minimum pay. Like it's insane to me. And so I just love it when people figure it out early (laughs) and don't waste all that time, you know, building real wealth. So how much debt did you have and how quickly did you pay it off?
0: I had, um, a little over 45,000 and I ended up paying it off in a little over three years.
1: That's Awesome. And so tell us, um, and that was all student loan debt, right? Nothing yes, else? Okay.
0: It was all student loan debt. I, I was lucky enough to, I didn't have any student debt from my undergrad, which was amazing. But for me, it was the decision to go to grad school that that put me into debt. And I think with student debt in particular, it can be really tough because you think you're making the right decision and you think you're investing in in your education and you're going to come out on the other end of it and make a higher paying job. And that doesn't happen for everybody. Um, So it could be a little bit of a rude awakening when, you know, you're working so hard to get yourself ahead. And and then all of a sudden you're faced with how do I navigate this? And and money can be such a taboo topic that I think not enough people um, are talking about it or talking about strategies of what they can do to get ahead. Um, so I was, I can't even say that, you know, I, I, I heard a podcast or I came across the information on my own. I think I just had so much anxiety about my debt that it forced me to really take a hard look at it. And that's when I started learning, um, some of the tips and tricks you can do there to get ahead.
1: So what do you think? Did you have like an aha moment or was it just kind of just stress just building up about the student loans? I,
0: I think the stress is always there. I did have an aha moment, though. I mean, they have so many calculators. Anyone can you know, Google um, a, a calculator on what an extra payment would do. And for me, I think it was the day that I used one of those. And I found out that if I had taken 10 years to pay off my loans, um, I would have paid an extra 22000 in interest, Ooh. which is half the price <laughs> of yeah. my loan. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, this, <laughs> this can't be right. You yeah. know, like, redo the calculator. You're like, no, no, no. Um, and finding that out and thinking, wow, what could I do if I did have an extra $20,000? And, you know, for five years when I moved to D.C., I, I think paying off debt does – you have to take a hard look at what you have, and if you don't um, – if you're not making enough income to make those extra payments you're probably going to have to make some sacrifices and for me i had three roommates in dc for for quite a few years but that really helped me housing could be such a big cost in someone's budget and that really helped me pay off my debt quicker and then i having that extra $20,000 you know i i bought my first apartment in dc 2 years ago and so i think it was that was my moment thinking oh my gosh what could i do with an extra $20,000 if I could pay this off a bit more quickly. Um, And at first I was only thinking of cutting off a few years, but once you sort of get started and making some of those changes to your lifestyle and getting more disciplined, I do think it gets easier.
1: So yeah, <laughs> so that's so true. It's like, how much faster can I do it? Okay, I've made this much progress now. What else can I do? And it just like builds so much momentum that makes you want to do it faster and faster.
0: <laughs> exactly. And I think luckily those habits stick with you after you pay off your debt as well, or at least I hope they do. You know, that's sort of my number one advice to people is don't let that that discipline and that drive stop the second you're debt free, you know? think about yes. that how you can use that to start building wealth. And, and you know, even if you're the first one out of your friends or, or family to make some of those decisions, don't be scared of letting that discipline um, die with, with your debt.
1: Absolutely. Because I know with me, and I've heard it the same from other people, like when I was paying off my debt, I was so intense about it. It was almost easier than saving money. Because then once we were debt free, you know, I bought some things that we had been holding out on so that we could pay off the debt faster. You know, if it could wait a month or two, it waited. (laughs) But then it was like, once we got to the saving money part, it was like something was constantly coming up. And luckily, I mean, we didn't go back into debt or anything like that and have no plans to do that. At this point, you know, we have enough money saved up that, you know, we shouldn't have to for anything at this point. But sometimes it's hard. Like when you have the debt, you know, it's like you owe somebody else and it's motivating to keep going. But then when you're just saving for yourself, it's like, it's, it's so easy to slow down. And I think that's great that you yeah. kind of focus on, no, just keep going and building those habits.
0: Right. I mean, I do think you have to build in, you know, the thing, obviously you build in the things that are really important to you. And I think you have to build in some of the fun stuff too. Otherwise you're never going to develop that discipline to begin with because mm-hmm. you're just going to be upset. Yeah. <laughs> so, for for me, that thing was, was travel, right? You know, I, I mentioned I'm a travel junkie and it's something I have always consistently done no matter where I've been at in my finances, but they have changed what used to be, you know, when I was paying off my debt, what used to be a weekend trip or, you know, time going to New York to visit my family. Now I could take I got back from France in May and that was a little bit more expensive than (laughs) a trip to visit my family in New York. And so I do think you can change some of those things, but from the get go, keeping what's important um, and some of the fun stuff in your budget, I think is important too. You just may have to think about how you change how you do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Do you have any um, actionable tips, like specific things that you did to pay off the money that somebody else can do?
0: Specific things that I did. I mean, I think I mentioned it earlier, but taking a look at what your really large expenses are for most people, that's housing, transportation, and food. Mm-hmm. And so really analyzing those in your budget and where you may be able to be able to cut back or is it worth living, you know, an extra 20 minute commute if it's going to save you if it's gonna enable you to pay an extra few hundred dollars every month on your debt, and the impact of that can be thousands and and tens of thousands of dollars over time. So I encourage people to think about that. Um, I do understand that sometimes people just aren't making enough money to make those extra payments. So I encourage encourage people to look into all the different various ways you might be able to generate extra income now. Um, Mm whether that's, you know, having a side hustle or airbnb your place or what have you, just to generate that extra income. Um, Building in the small wins, like I said earlier. And then something interesting I did, I'm not sure if they do it anymore, but I would actually use, um, I was with Citibank at the time, and, and I don't, you know, recommend any specific bank, but I was actually able to use my credit card points to make extra payments on my student loans. Oh, cool. I think not a lot of people look into, so I encourage you to check it out, because that was actually really helpful, even if it's just, you know, a lot of people think to get ahead of their debt, they need hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and um, I think it's important to appreciate even what like a $50 extra payment can do. And I think that's totable, totally doable to find over the course of a month.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I one thing that I did with paying off my student loans was I figured out how much interest I was paying every single day. And it was almost $5 a day. So even if you just if you only have $50 that month or $100 that month, that's still lowering how much interest you're paying every single day on those student loans. And it adds up in the course of a year and -hmm. over time. So I think that's great. And I love that you had, what'd you say, three roommates? Yeah. (laughs) That's, That's insane. Like, did everybody get along for the most part at
0: least? For the most part, we actually did. You know, I think in big cities, having more, having a roommate or having multiple roommates may be more common than living in rural areas. We had a, we had a crazier two along the way, but <laughs> yeah. for, the, for the most part, it, it worked out. And I'm happy I did it because I wouldn't have been able to pay off. After I paid off my loans, I stood an extra year and I wouldn't have been able to afford the down payment on my apartment had I not done that.
1: That's awesome. So I always like to ask people, um, and you did say that your um, undergraduate, was you didn't have any student loans, so this was all your master's. So um, do you use your degree then?
0: Yes, I do. Um, my nine to five, when I'm not running Be Worth, which I call my six to 10. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> my nine to five is an in international development. Uh, I work for a company that does government contracting and foreign aid and my master's degree was in international affairs. So, uh, yes, I do. I do use it. I don't think I'm happy to see that they are starting to bring in some more, uh, trade schools and vocational schools and things like that. I think some of the decisions that people feel like they have to do, like I, I have to buy a house or I have mm-hmm. to get, um, the, you know, the advanced degree or whatever. I think those are very personal decisions. Um, so I encourage everyone to think about them carefully, but yes, I do use mine.
1: That's awesome because a lot of people, including myself, don't use their degree. Like I never technically needed a degree for what I did and what I do now. My degree is not in finance or anything like that. Um, but I have thought about getting my master's, you know, master in business or finance or something, but yeah, yeah, sure. it's crazy to me. I mean, and I was the same way that, you know, we spend so much money on this degree thinking we need it when in reality, a lot of people don't, I mean, obviously some people do. Um, but yeah, so I always, I always like to ask that question. So do you ha- so if you don't mind me asking, how did you get through your undergrad without any debt?
0: Um, I, I had family support and I had a partial scholarship.
1: Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So you did mention something earlier that I want to touch on is negotiating your salary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you said you negotiated every year with your, um, is it with your employer? Um, right. do you have any tips on how to negotiate? Cause you know, especially women we're afraid to negotiate. I think, um, you yeah. know, we don't think that we can or that it's not worth it or, you know, we're just, insecure about it or whatever it may be. So do you have any advice on negotiating your salary? Absolutely. And and I will say,
0: I think one of those years I skipped, <laughs> I gave my employer a break. But, <laughs> uh, there's this misconception that just because you went in for a raise or something last year doesn't mean you could do it twice. And that's entirely not true. Um, I think, Similarly to the the decision to go to school, which you were just talking about, you know, that that's an investment in your education. Um, I named my company Be Worth Finance because I want people to be worth the investment in themselves. And I think it's a similar mentality when you're talking about negotiating your salary. Um, Some points of advice I would give are to prepare well in advance. So don't wait, you know, until the two weeks before or the week before Mm -hmm. to, to get sort of your your pitch together, I think it's really important to develop a relationship with your employer so you can check in, you know, six months before you may be up for a raise or as advanced as you can to sort of set benchmarks to make it more difficult for them to say no the day of, right, Mm -hmm. so what are your performance indicators that you're gonna strive to meet over the next six months to make it difficult for your boss to say, no to to that raise or to that higher pay band and keeping track of how your responsibilities or how your role may have changed and really how you're maybe going um above above and beyond to get the work done the statistics and i have this on a. I i wrote an article on this recently on, on my blog which people can find at beworthfinance.com slash finlit um one of the statistics is the amount of people that do ask for money. It's a very, very high percentage that actually get it. And but I think it's so difficult to sort of pump you, pump yourself up for that ask, right? So mm-hmm. that's why those setting those benchmarks and setting those performance indicators in advance really help. Um, I'd always say go for higher than you think your employer is going to land. So if you're asking for, you know, if you really want a 10% raise. Acts for the 15 and see what happens there and then everyone's fear is always the, the worst case scenario is they say no and I try to tell people not to look at that as a negative because if your boss said no this year that gives you a really awesome window of opportunity to say okay well you know I understand it's not in the budget or maybe I'm not performing where you would like me to how can I change that what can I do in the next six months, and maybe you don't wait a whole another year to go for that next ask, right? Right. Set it up so that you have benchmarks and you have indicators you can meet um, in the near future that you can revisit those. And then it's going to be really difficult for them to say no to you um, twice in a row. The the cost of replacing a high-performing employee is likely much, much higher than the raise that you're asking for. So that's always something to keep in mind. As well, a lot of people working in HR know that already, but it's easy to forget
1: when you're on the other side. Oh, absolutely. And I think that we, like, I didn't know some of that. And of course I work, I worked in a government job. So there's, you know, set pay raises and pay scales Mm -hmm. and all that. So there really wasn't room to negotiate on my end. But even if I um, was in a job where I could negotiate better, I don't think that I'd have the confidence to do it. But I think after listening to you explain it like that, it's like, oh, that makes total sense. You're, you're, you're right. So I think that people should definitely negotiate more and um, better. And then of course, I'll link in the show notes to your article so that you can Mm -hmm. jump over there and grab those helpful tips as well.
0: The other thing to keep in mind, just quickly on that point, Ashley, is even if you're really constrained, like you said, you, you know, you're within a certain pay band or it's not in the budget or what have you, keep in mind that you can negotiate benefits as well sometimes. So it oh, may not necessarily always be about your salary. If you could increase your employer match, for example, to your retirement plan, or we were talking about side hustles earlier, if you can negotiate more benefits you know paid time off more leave so that you can generate more income that way those are also things to consider.
1: Oh, I yeah, I didn't even consider that either. That is great advice. Um so one more thing, what is your number one tip or advice for someone wanting to get started on managing their money better, whether it's paying off debt or budgeting or anything like what's your number one tip for people?
0: Ooh, number one is is hard, but <laughs> I think, um <laughs> You know, I think you really need to be realistic with yourself in terms of what challenges are you facing with your finances? What are your your habits that you know are going to be really difficult to, to break? And be honest with the goals that you set for yourself as well. I think, you know, a lot of people have this feeling like learning about finance is only for someone that works in a bank or is only... A financial advisor, and so something I really try to tell people out at Be Worth is don't be, don't feel embarrassed if maybe you're not as educated about money as you would like to be. You know, I, I try to break it down so it's more relatable to to get rid of some of those fears that people have. Just being honest about, you know, this is where I'm starting, but I want to learn more about how to pay off my debt or how to invest. Um, knowing what your habits are so that you can build that in to how you're going to go about achieving some of those goals. And then not being ashamed if you. If you know that you want to take a crazy vacation every year or you want, you know, if your dream goal is to have, you know, a car you really like or whatever it is, that's fine. Just build it into something that's realistic and to a financial plan that's that's going to work for you. Um, Because if it doesn't work for you, then you're never going to meet any of the goals that you set. So really just being real with yourself in terms of, um, where you are with your finances and, and not being scared to take them one step further.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so I lied. I said one more thing, but I have actually a couple more questions if you have time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also saw recently that you were on Forbes, which is crazy and congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, and it was about three missed Myths busted to help millennials to save for retirement. And I really just wanted to touch on that really quick um, because the myths are really accurate. And so um, can you talk about that real fast? Sure. Um you know, jogging
0: my brain a little bit here, but and thank you for the congratulations. I mean, <laughs> talking about being honest of yourself where you are with your finances, it's sort of a whirlwind to go from seven years ago. I was I was struggling with all this anxiety about debt, and and then to have a publication like that was pretty cool. But what I had wanted to do with the article is there are so many reasons. Well, first of all, millennials get a lot of flack for They're not saving as much for retirement as Mm -hmm. they should be. And there are a lot of systematic reasons about that, stagnating wages being one of them. But I wanted to get just like the things you hear around the office about reasons why Millennials, you know, people 22 to 35 aren't saving as much as they should. And so, some of the myths that I included in that article were things like people have a fear. A lot of people will jump job to job because it's a way to, they're scared about negotiating a salary, like we talked about, and it's a way to increase their income if they jump from employer to employer. And a lot of people feel like they'll lose if they start contributing to their retirement plan, that they won't have access to that money. And so, that's not, it could be true, but that's not necessarily true. And it's something to check when you're accepting a new position with a new employer, um, what the vesting schedule is like for your retirement plan, because it's possible that you could be um, 100% vested, which is basically the point at which you can walk away from an employer and have access to to your money, to those funds. Um So that's not always true that you're going to lose your retirement benefits just because you change employers after one or two or five years. So I encourage people um, to check that. The other one that I remember from the article is that so many people are starting their own companies and doing their own side hustles and working for Uber and things like this. And I think it's a common misconception that If you don't have like the standard nine to five, if you're not working in an office that you don't have a retirement plan to contribute to. And so a lot of people are just, you know, stashing their money or saving it somewhere instead of putting it in a tax advantage account that could really save them tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars over time. Um, So I talk a lot about independent retirement um, accounts, IRAs, in, in the article and throughout Be Worth, I recommend that everyone, if you're eligible to get a Roth IRA, which is uh, a retirement vehicle you could set up completely on your own. Um, with a Roth IRA, the cool thing about that is any money that you contribute to that Roth IRA with other retirement vehicles, you would be penalized if you take that out before you retire, which a lot of millennials get scared about not having access to those funds, with the Roth IRA, at least any money that you contribute to it, you can take it out without any penalty, without paying any additional taxes on it. Um, so that's something I always recommend people check out. But there are there are several different types of these individual retirement accounts. There, are, um, There's a spousal IRA if you work and your partner doesn't. There's um, a SEP IRA if you're a small business owner. So these are all ways millennials can save for retirement without having your standard nine to five. So don't think just because you don't have a traditional employer that that's not an option for you.
1: That's awesome. And I'll link to that article in the show notes as well. So you can go and check out the full article on Forbes. That's awesome. (laughs) Okay. And you also have an upcoming course. Uh, Would you like to talk about that?
0: I would. Thank you. I'm very, very excited. It's actually um, being tested by some of my BeWorth subscribers now. So if anyone uh, wants to check it out, you can get on the email list for BeWorth at the bottom of any webpage on my site. And the first course it will be launching uh, later this year, early 2020, is called the Money Moves Accelerator. With, with BeWorth, because I know so many people uh, get anxious about talking about money, I wanted to provide something that people could take at their own pace and not if they're worried about having those conversations with with people i wanted them to have a course that they can take you know in the comfort of their living room but still digest that information and have a a way to really improve their finances so there there are four modules to the money moves accelerator um focusing on how to build a budget how to pay off debt and that's not specific to student debt also covers credit card debt and medical debt in that as well um, the third module is how to level up your finances. So automating your money moves so that your budget's more easy for you to implement. And the fourth module is saving for retirement or investing for retirement. Um, if you're at a stage where you're investing 10% of your income or less, if you're already on top of that and you're investing 10% of your income or more, then you would fall into a later course from Beworth. But I'm very excited to get that out. The whole course will take people about two and a half hours to go through separate from the work they'll have to do on the side and setting up their budget and things like that. So it should be a quick way for people to make some really impactful um, moves when it comes to their finances. And I'm, I'm very excited to get it out the door in the next few months here.
1: I'm excited for you too. I think it's going to be great for people to really, um, start working on that, especially, you know, at the beginning of the new year, when people start making resolutions and they decide they want to manage their money a little bit better. So I think that's awesome that you're doing that to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I do like to ask everybody is what their favorite nonfiction book is. Cause I'm always looking for more books on learning how to grow and self-improvement and all that kind of stuff. Um, and of course this podcast is all about, uh, improving your mindset and things like that. So what is your favorite nonfiction book? Ooh, I, I love the book question. I'm actually in a book club and oh. on the
0: fly. I've been trying to sneak in some finance books there. <laughs> <laughs> we tend to go more fiction lately, but I think my one of my most recent favorite books on the nonfiction side, I actually did a giveaway um, contest on my Instagram account not too long ago is called Financial Freedom um, by Grant Sabote is part of what's called the Financial Independence Retire Early Movement. Um, And so the book is really, it's a story, but he also lays out quite a few strategies that he used to go from, he was living with his parents, you know, he had a standard nine to five living with his parents, had $2 in his bank account, which he actually took a picture of and included in the book, which is um, pretty brave of him to post Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. (laughs) Amassing over $1.25 million dollars, in wealth before he, uh, I think when he turned 30. Wow, uh, that's awesome. So there are lots of tips, even though I think it's really easy to say, oh my gosh, that's never gonna happen to me, or maybe, you know, I'm 31, but maybe someone listening to this is saying, you know, I'm already 40, so retirement at 30 isn't gonna happen. But I think even opening your mind to those possibilities, and he talks a lot about where he invested his money or, the strategies he used to generate additional income, everything from, um, you know, Airbnb, your apartment to different side hustles you can do and, and where to invest those funds. I think even just learning about those opportunities, even if you have no plans to retire early, can do nothing but help you in, in your finances. And it's just a fun read. Awesome. I'll have to
1: check that out. Yeah. Um, all right. Any last words of wisdom? Any last words? <laughs> Um, you've had a lot of good tips in here. So, you know, you may, I don't know if you think of anything else. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, I think, you know, I I think I said it before, just, just don't be a lot of people. It's so easy to, to look at money as a negative thing. And no matter where you are, just, just get started. And, you know, don't, don't let your debt um, stop you from taking control of of the rest of your life. And so I think, you know, not being intimidated to get started, no matter where you are in your financial journey, it's never too late to to make a few steps to improve that. So um, I'm sure all your listeners are ready one step ahead because they're tuning in to begin with. But I think that's really important to keep in mind.
1: That's great. And where can people find you?
0: Oh, sure. Um, well, they can visit the, the website. I have some free tools up on there as well, like the Smart Money Moves Checklist, which is a really quick um, three-minute checklist they can use to make sure their finances are headed in the right direction. So you can find all of that at www.beworthfinance.com, as in be worth the investment or be worth the time. Um, and I'm a big fan of Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram at beworthfinance as well. And I look forward to hearing from everyone.
1: And thanks for coming. It was such a joy to talk to you today. Thanks so much, Ashley. Thanks to Kimberly for coming and talking to us about how she paid off her debt and negotiating your salary and all the things. I will link to everything that she mentioned in the show notes. And don't forget that. Now is your opportunity to join the Budgets Made Easy membership community. Start saving money now for the holidays. Start paying off your debt and making your plan for the new year. It ends on Thursday, October 10th at midnight, Eastern time. So don't miss out. Go to budgetsmadeeasy.com slash membership. And if you are listening to this after membership closes, you can also get started on your budget. Great place to start is with the seven day budget challenge. It is pay what you want minimum of $5 so that you are motivated to actually do it and follow through with it so be sure to choose an amount that will uh, motivate you to do that but it's step-by-step videos on how to get started and it's budgetsmadeeasy.com budget dash challenge I will link to those in the show notes as well and I will talk to you guys next week.